30 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. If you are able, please continue to stand while I pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us together uh, today, and particularly, Lord, we thank you and ask for your blessing. As we begin our study of the book of John this morning, we pray, Lord God, that you would use this book to help us, Lord, those who believe in you, to grow in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to understand the implications of what, what does it mean that he is the son of God? What does it mean for someone to have life in his name and the fact that we as your people have life in his name, Lord? Help us to understand what these things mean. Not only in our head, Lord, but, but in our hearts. And may, be, may, may that knowledge that transforming knowledge be communicated to others in our service to them. We pray, Lord God, that those who are here among us who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, I pray that as we preach through the book of John, that you would impart life to them by your Spirit. And help us, Lord, to learn how to communicate the truths that we learn from this book to those who do not yet believe, who don't come to church and will not come to church. We ask that you would, Lord, be glorified and honored and that you would build up your people through the preaching of this book. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And uh, some of you might be thinking, oh, you may be seated, I'm sorry. Some of you might be thinking, well, if we're starting to preach through the book of John, Pastor Rick, why are we starting in chapter 20? Shouldn't we start in chapter 1? Well, uh, John gives us here really the reason, the reason this book, the reason this book exists, the book, not the whole book, maybe we could say the whole Bible, but I won't do that. The book of John exists for this very reason. The reason he gives here. Now, what we have to remember as we read the Gospels, that the Gospels are first selective. And he tells us this in verse 30. But then there is a particular benefit that can be drawn from reading the Gospel of John. Although it is selective, there is a particular benefit that the people of God can derive from and those who do not believe from reading the Gospel of John. And the way that John chooses to, John is a very careful writer. So John says, and truly Jesus, truly Jesus, he himself, the man, the man who, who was born of a virgin and lived in the area of Palestine and grew up, in stature and wisdom and favor with God and with men. 
He himself, the man Christ Jesus, did many other signs. Now here, what John, John may mean, he can mean three things. What he, mean, what he can mean is that Jesus did more signs than the, one I've already, than the ones I've already talked about in this book. He did more than those. Or he can mean that Jesus did more signs than the ones he does, than, uh, excuse me, the, than the ones that he did after his resurrection that I've recorded for you. Or the third thing is he can mean both. And I think that that gets to the point. Because we know that from the other gospels, he healed the Gadarean demoniac or the Gerasene demoniac. We know, and that was before uh, his resurrection, before his crucifixion and resurrection, he healed many others. That's one example. We know that on the road to Emmaus, he appeared to the disciples on the road and then vanished. He appeared to the 500. So Jesus did many other things that are not written in the gospel of John, if we just look at the other gospels. But then he spent 40 days with his disciples, and he did many things among his disciples. And uh, John chooses not to record those things. And as we're reading our gospels, uh, those should be cues and clues for us to what John is doing. We should, we should think. So for example, and here I'm talking about the Gospel of John. Why doesn't the Gospel of John have a genealogy? Why not? Why isn't it there? Why isn't the genealogy there? Well, we know he believed that Jesus was a man and that he was born of Mary, right? He believed all those things. He shows us those things. He, he, Jesus says from the cross, behold, your mother, to John. And that was Jesus' mother, Mary, and now John is to take her as his mother, to care for her. So we know that John knew these relationships. Why does he choose to begin with this beautiful preamble where he does not trace the genealogy of Jesus to his earthly parents, but he takes us into heaven? There's a reason why John does that. And as you read the book of John, you'll find out why. I'm not going to tell you this morning why he does that. And he focuses particularly here, though, on the signs. He says, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Depending on how you count eight, nine signs in the book of John, but generally there are seven that are agreed upon, seven signs. He turns water into wine. In chapter two. In chapter four, he raises a man's son. In chapter five, he heals a paralytic. In chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. In chapter 6, again, he walks on water. In chapter 9, he heals a blind man. And then at the culmination 
of his signs. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Those signs point to something else besides just the act of Jesus doing it. The fact that he can turn water into wine says something about Jesus. Not just that he could do magic, you know? Like, you know, uh, David Blair, I think that's his name. He could probably do some magic trick, staged, of course, not a miracle, not a sign, where he could turn water into wine. And you'd never be able to figure out how he did it, and he could probably do it all the time. But Jesus wasn't just a magician. He wasn't just doing magic tricks to, oh, wow, he's from God. That wasn't the point. The signs pointed to something in particular. So, um, there's a difference between a sign and a symbol, right? A sign is intended to point to something, right? And a symbol really can, can be arbitrary, right? So, for example, what a symbol is on Canada's flag? Maple leaf. Are they the only country in the world with maple leaves, trees, maple trees? No. We have better maple trees. <laughs> you see, there's no, there's no um, it's just a symbol, right, that represents Canada. But, but the symbol itself could be used by many other countries. Many other countries. Yet the signs in the Gospel of John are intended to point to Jesus particularly. I'll give you one example. When he feeds the 5,000, you have the discourse where he speaks about being the bread from heaven. He's the bread from heaven. What you can't see with your natural eyes and what the people couldn't see then with their natural eyes as he is feeding them bread, is that Jesus, the man, Jesus, you know, when I do this, I don't mean me, right? I'm tapping to, like, physical, physically, him, right? Jesus himself can feed you spiritually to everlasting life. If you're not a Christian, you don't see that. You can't see that. You don't understand what that means. That makes no, really, it doesn't make sense to you. That this man who is God can satisfy your soul. That he can give you a right standing with God. That you don't have to live in shame and guilt over your sins. When you feed upon him. It's, it was, it's so difficult to understand that the Jews thought he was talking about cannibalism. And he wasn't talking about the Lord's Supper either. But you see, the, that, and, and that imagery of bread, where does, where, where does the Lord choose to begin to teach the people that he will give them bread from heaven in the Old Testament with the manna? And he sustains them in the wilderness. And God is teaching us that he will sustain us in the wilderness of this world through his son. 
So these signs, they point to Jesus in a, a, a particular way. They say things about him. They reveal who he is. And it's not just the sign in and of itself because Jesus offers rebukes regularly to the Jewish people because all they want to see is signs. So, for example, Jesus says this. He says to them, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. John 4, 48. But wait a minute. Aren't you saying that the signs point to you? Jesus is saying, no, there's something greater than the signs. All you want to see is magic tricks. When he feeds them and they come following him, he says to them, the only reason you came is to fill your belly. That's right. Fill your belly up. Not because, that I, you don't have to shush them when they do that. I like their, that, that kind of audience participation is helpful. To fill your belly up, that's the only reason you came. Not because of what that sign that I did means and how it points to me. You didn't come to, for me, you came for yourself. So, those, the signs are significant. And John says, which are not written in this book. These things were written. Faith comes by hearing and faith comes by reading. There's this, this book, the Bible, is intended to be read and heard by God's people. And specifically, the book of John is intended to be read and to be heard by God's people that they might believe. You see, uh, folks love to be spiritual, right? Spiritualism is, is a big deal. Last, last weekend when uh, Pastor uh, Brian was here preaching, we, we went and he wanted to go to a particular restaurant in Little Italy, Little Italy to uh, have pizza. So we go, and we witness to the waitress. And uh, uh, so we're witnessing to her, and she says to us, well, I'm spiritual. You know, I believe in spiritualism. And she started to talk to us about a bunch of crazy stuff. But, <clears throat> but when you point those spiritual people to this book right here with, that you can read. You can read about God and his ways with his people and his promises to them. They want nothing of it. But God says, John, an inspired, in this book that is inspired, John says, no, the truths about God are written. We can know him. He's not a mystery. He's not like somewhere out there in outer space where we can't find him. And what I have to do is look for some experience. No, we can know God by reading, by hearing his word. So Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples. These signs point to Jesus in a particular way. And these signs are recorded for us so that we might study them and we might learn who Christ is. There's a particular purpose and aim, though. So this is selective. We don't know everything there is to know about Jesus, right? right? Uh, in verse 30, really, this focuses upon the selectivity of John. 
John chose to be selective in the signs that he picked and in in the events, more than just the signs. If we broaden that, he didn't tell us everything about Jesus' life. We don't know anything really about Jesus when he was a teenager. We don't know. You know why? Because we don't have to. Right? So when you read of lost gospels where Jesus turns, you know, clay birds into actual pigeons and he... I think in one of the false gospels, he actually like kills a little kid too, but I might not be right. But like, that's all nonsense. It's just speculation. Like we want to know more, but uh, the gospels in and of themselves, they're not biographies. They're not intended to communicate everything about his life. What they're intended to do is to communicate everything the author was inspired to communicate. And in this gospel, what God inspires this writing for, in particular, is for people to grow in faith. Here's the benefit of reading this gospel. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's his aim, that we might believe. Now, Believing that Jesus is the Christ is not like believing that George Washington was the first president, right? And you could know facts about George Washington, right? He had wooden teeth and he chopped down a cherry tree, right? Whatever, right? Uh, but so we could, you could know facts about George Washington and you can believe that he was a historical figure, But that's not the kind of believing John is talking about. You can believe in Jesus the same way you believe in George Washington. And you won't go to heaven. Because Jesus isn't talking, John isn't talking about mere facts. The apprehension of facts. What he is talking about is faith. Belief that is saving. That's what he is talking about. The author to the book of Hebrews explains faith this way. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, the author to the book of Hebrews explains faith in this way. He says, Now faith... This is biblical faith. This is what it means to believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So here, the focus of the author to the book of Hebrews is faith merely the apprehension of facts or is faith tied to hope, which is future pointing? It's future. The... the, A person who has faith is a person who is hopeful. So, a person who believes that Abraham Lincoln was a historical figure, that faith is not tied to any kind of hope. Unless there's some weird George Washington religion that I don't know about, and, you know, (laughs) excuse me if I don't know. The substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. In 
he doesn't just mean not seeing with the eyeballs, right? Like we see, it's not just that you see it with your eyes because people saw Jesus who did not have faith in him. But we see these things spiritually. We grasp and apprehend what they actually are. Faith is bound and tied to hope. And because of its spiritual nature, you know what that means? That faith is not worked up in us. Like, I can't work you up to believe. Faith, the gift of faith, is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit imparts life to men and women through the preaching of the gospel. You see, this is not just the mere apprehension of facts. No, faith is bound and tied with a future hope of glory. And with with the perception of spiritual realities that are grounded in the heart. And this is a work of the Spirit. Isn't that what John, what Jesus says in John 3, chapter 6? Excuse me, John chapter 3, verse 6. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. When you're communicating the gospel to your kids and God saves them, or you're at work talking to somebody about the gospel, or you're out in the street, or you're speaking to your wife, or whoever it may be, when God chooses to impart life, it's not like their eyes change color. Oh, he's converted now, right? Or something, you know, there's a special glow on their face, or what? No, that's not what happens. You don't see it with your eyes. You don't know where where it comes from. You know that the preaching of the gospel is the means God uses because Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel clearly. And then the Spirit imparts life. Life. This is the kind of believing that John is talking about in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He's talking, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about more than just the apprehension of facts. He's talking about a work that is wrought by the Spirit of God under the preaching of the gospel. And what he is talking about is a work that gives assurance and joy. Look at Romans chapter 8. And here is, here is an expression of that assurance and joy. If you don't live this way, you don't have faith. This is what we ought to aim for. Verses 30 through 36, Paul talks about the turmoils, struggles, and tribulations, and many of the ones that he saw are physical ones. We don't experience many physical ones besides sickness. He's talking about physical persecutions. Yet in 8.37, he says this, Romans 8.37. 
This is a crucial, vital aspect of faith. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. A Christian knows that God and Christ loves him. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what it, that, that, that statement captures what it means to have faith. That, not just that Jesus died, Not just that he lived, not just that he lived a sinless life, but that all of those things are for my benefit. That is a vital aspect of biblical faith, that all of those things are for me and for my good. And it doesn't matter what happens in this world, nothing can separate me from the love that God has for me through Christ. That gives, that's a great source of joy. But then also, you know, believing in Jesus, like somebody believes in George Washington, doesn't mean that you know. You can say, you, you can become an expert on George Washington and say, hey, I know George Washington. But that really has no effect on your life. Listen to how John says this in 1 John. In 1 John, In 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. 1 John 2, 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know him. This is this intimate knowledge of Jesus, this this gift that is imparted to us by the Spirit of the living God. How do you know? Is it just because you can regurgitate a bunch of facts and you get kind of emotional when you talk about Jesus? Or when you hear a particular worship song, you feel feel the Spirit moving? or, Or you had some kind of experience, some point in your life you were really low and you cried some, And you felt guilty a little bit about some of your sins, but you just kept living the same way for the past 30 and 40 years. No. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Do you keep the commands of God? If you don't keep the commands of God, if you live in open rebellion to the God of heaven, you don't know Jesus. You don't know him. Yet, if you know him, you keep his commandments. Look at verse 4. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Knowing Jesus, believing in him, reading the gospel of John, seeing the signs and the spirit working and enabling you to know that Jesus is the Christ transforms you. It molds and shapes your character. 
And when you say that you know God and you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. That's what the Bible says. You're bearing false witness. You're you're committing more sin, more unrighteousness. And the truth is not in us. But whoever keeps his word. You see, so people can say, this is where, where John is just excellent in this point. People can say, I know God, right? I know who he is. I know Jesus is the Christ. And I keep his commandments. But I don't read the Bible. And I don't pay attention to that old archaic book. You know how many contradictions are in that thing? And I don't, oh. But whoever keeps his word. These words. The words in this book. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Uh, If you are a Christian, you are an example of what it looks like for God to love someone. So when you're not a Christian and you claim that name upon yourself, you're telling a great lie. God has set his love on his people, and that love is reformative. It rids us of the deformities that we have due to the fall. It rids us of the deformities that we have due to our rebellion against him. And I'm talking about spiritual deformities, sin. Sin is abnormal. It's normal to us because we are born in trespasses and sins. But genuinely, sin is abnormal. Sin is not right. And we should not give place to it in our own hearts and in our lives. And if we do, we are liars. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him himself, excuse me, he who says he abides in him ought himself, ought. You know that, I like that word ought. We don't use it rightly. But you know what ought communicates? Duty. Right? We're creatures of ought, which means should do. I should do particular things. If I am a new creature created in Christ Jesus for good works, what ought I be doing? Good works. And that's what the Bible says. And those who know Jesus walk just as he walked. They live the way that he did. Perfectly? No. What does John say? John says in chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So I'm not preaching sinless perfection. That's not what I'm saying. Not at all am I saying that. And the truth is not in in us. If we confess our sins... And this is a vital part of showing that we know him. If we confess our sins, if we say what God says about our sins and then act accordingly, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, not only am I not a sinner, but actually I've never sinned. I just never done it my entire life. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see, God, when God speaks, every mouth should be stopped because God holds us accountable. And he can do that because he made us and we're created in his image. So in the gospel of John, John chapter 20, verse 31, let's go back there. John chapter 30, verse 31. He gives us a reason for writing this gospel. He records particular signs, and those signs are intended to reveal something. They're meant to point to something in particular. But these are written, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that believing involves more than just the apprehension of facts. It's not just facts. It comes with an assured assurance and joy that is wrought in the heart by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, through reading this very book. That's how God imparts life to men by the Spirit. And then that knowing God, believing in Him, is transformative. It changes our life, right? So there's these two things that go together transformed, it changes our life, if we believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. So people may say, yeah, I believe that Jesus was an exemplar, and we need to pattern our lives after him, so he does change my life. But John says, no, he is also the Son of God. You have the God-man. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man in one person. And if you say, well, that makes no sense, of course it doesn't. You're a mere mortal. You do not have infinite knowledge and wisdom. You would have never come up with a plan to save God's people the way God has. God has devised this plan in his infinite wisdom. Um, He is omnisapient, right? He's all-knowing and all-wise. So he sends his son into the world, the God-man, the Lord Jesus, to save sinners. And this is the way that John begins the book of John, by making this point. So as we read the gospel of John, so Go to the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses just, they don't, the, the, in the New World Translation, whatever it's called now, I think they might have changed the name, um, they show that they don't understand the Greek language, right? So it's a worthless translation, really, yeah. Because clearly here what John is communicating is that the word, Jesus, was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was made, excuse me, was, excuse me, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the light, life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So Jesus is not only the Messiah, but he is also the Son of God. He is divine. And the purpose of the book of John is to show forth his divinity, is to help us see and understand the divinity of Christ. And next week, we'll get into one, one and following. So, you know, come back next week. Back to chapter 20. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You know, there, um, I'm certain that there are people in this room who aren't Christians. And you've lived, right? Some of you have lived a short time. Some of you have lived a very long time, right? But you don't have life. When you live as an unbeliever, you do not have life. That's not life at all. That's not living. It's bondage. You live as a slave to sin. You live according to the course of this world, according to the power of the spirit in, of the air who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You live as a child of wrath. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. You don't know what it is to live, to have a conscience that is freed from the burden and the guilt of unrighteousness. You don't know what that's like. And you hate yourself, and you hate God, and you hate others, and you have no real joy. For example, like you'll live temporally. And people do this different ways, right? So some people will do it with material things. So uh, the internet has made this possible where you could just buy whatever you want and just drive yourself into all kinds of debt. But you're never happy. You always need a new thing. That's not, you don't have any real joy, right? And those material things will never give them to you. Only the bread of heaven will give it to you, the Lord Jesus. Or you use drugs, or you abuse alcohol, or you sleep around all over the place. Why? Because you're looking to satisfy your passions. And since, you are, since you're fallen, since you're sinful, you run to sin and unrighteousness to try to appease yourself, to try to make yourself feel good. But it doesn't last. Temporary. And what John does is in his gospel is he points you to the only source of joy in this world, the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I would call you this morning. If you don't know Christ, come to him. Come to him. If you know Christ, continue to come to him. And I pray that as uh, you would read 
this gospel regularly as we're preaching the word uh, through, as we're preaching through this book. Let's pray that God would bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity of gathering together. We ask that you would open our eyes and that you would help us to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. May we, Lord, who have life in his name, rejoice greatly in knowing this truth. If uh, due to laziness or maybe due to sin, we've uh, grown weary of believing in him, grant us great confidence in him. Help us to love him and to delight ourselves in Christ. We thank you for the opportunity of uh, hearing the word read today, of singing, of praying. We thank you for the preaching, Lord. We ask that you would bless it to our hearts and help us, Lord, now as your people uh, to live in great joy. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Sing the doxology. <laughs>